Hello everybody and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed 2023 edition. We're in the future now. The future we're is the, today. We're, we're I think the 20s have officially begun. Well, yeah. I, I mean, because, you know, the, the teens sort of linger. Like, the previous decade lingers for a couple of years. Yeah. I and think... now, now that we're in 2023, it's like, now we can start tracking, like, this decade's personality. I, I, I would argue that we're in a we're in a particular situation in the twenties where usually what we're talking about here is when we think of like the for example, the artistic styles that define a particular decade, they don't tend to just stop when the next decade starts. Right. They they bleed into the next decade a little bit and then that decade finds its voice or the incidents in that decade that shape it mm. start changing the art that we get made. I would argue that the pandemic kind of Rushed in the twenties pretty early. Uh, yeah, maybe so. It kind of it kind of is like a clear line where like trends kind of started there. Now we're in the twenties. Uh, introduce yeah. yourself, William. Yeah, you kind of you kind of screwed me on that. Yeah, my so. name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. I write for Slash Film. I like to list uh, list my uh, my outlet. Uh, and yeah, that, that's me. Yeah, I, I write uh, for the rap, and I also sometimes write. For Slash Film. Yeah, they, I got to write, um, we have a, a feature called The Daily Stream ah, yes. over at Slash Film. Yes. Anything that's on streaming, yeah. an author uh, at Slash Film can write about and recommend. Yeah, just, hey, you can, you should watch this. It's on it's streaming. on any streaming service. It, yeah. Not picky. Yeah. And uh, it's a very eclectic thing. And thanks to uh, a, a bit of an editorial gaffe, um, I got two days in a row. Ooh. So I got to recommend, and they couldn't be more... Uh, Different. I got to recommend uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, uh-huh. one of the greatest movies ever made. Great. And uh, Sam and Max Freelance Police, uh-huh. one of my favorite animated shows. The one time I had an opportunity to write uh, a daily stream, and then it turns out I had to do something else that was more pressing. Uh-huh. I was going to write about Faster Pussycat. So you took oh, that you? Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not mad. If, if you, you wanted me to hold the... it, you should have said no, no, something. No, 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 no. Right. I'm, I'm glad you did, because right. I'm sure you're going to be more eloquent than I am. Anyway, this is Critically Acclaimed. Uh, we review new movies. On this particular podcast on the Critically Acclaimed Network, where we have other shows as well. And uh, the new year has begun. We just did an episode where we talked about our favorite films from 2022. Mm. And now it is time to usher in a new year of new movies with one new movie review and one movie review from last week. So technically we still have one 2022 (laughs) movie left. And kudos to the makers of that movie because they literally slipped it in under the wire. Right, and it's on New Year's Eve. It, it came, and it's a New Year's Eve movie, so that yep. was fitting. Uh, so they had to. I also think that it surely doesn't hold a record, mm. and I would be interested to know about its production schedule because. Uh-huh. Um, well, well, real fast. Let's let's just yeah. before okay. we get into it. The movies we're reviewing this week are uh, the new horror comedy Megan, and also the straight to Tubi. Tubi original. Horror sequel, Terror Train 2. The sequel to their remake of Terror Train. Another Tubi original. And we're going to start with that. Yeah. Because, uh, so to, to, I would be interested to know yeah. what the fastest turnaround mm-hmm. for a sequel has been in cinema history in that mm-hmm. uh, production wrapped on the first film uh-huh. with no plan of a sequel. Exactly. And then they put a sequel into production and got it into theaters uh like in the shortest amount of time, because I know there are movies that are made in a chunk. Yeah. Uh, like the Fear Street movies, for instance, yeah. they're all shot at the same time. It, it's tempting to say that that's the fastest because they came out one week after each yeah. other, but they were intended to 
It's a little different. Mm. Same thing with the Matrix movies, and, and same like thing. Two in one year, and yeah. same thing with, and it seems with Terror Train one and two because they were shot with mostly the same cast. The people who died didn't come back for the sequel. It shot with basically the same location and a lot of the same costumes. Uh, <laughs> and and honestly, clever way to do it. You're making a low budget slasher sequel or mm. remake. Make another one. Yeah. Do it. You're already there. You're already shooting so, uh, it in a couple of weeks. So I, I would bet, although I don't have the information in front of me, I would bet cold, hard currency that they shot them both at the same time oh, as part okay. of a package deal, probably. It's entirely possible. Yeah. Uh, and because yeah, the, the Terror Train remake came out just last October. Yeah, October to December. Yeah. Part one, part two. Uh, I didn't see part one, but uh, I've seen part two now. Um Real fast, can, can my, you tell my, me, uh, real fast, real fast. Right. My theory for uh, the films that were probably the shortest distance between the release of the first one and the release of the sequel mm. uh, would be the break-in movies. Yeah, because that was like seven months, I think, give or take. It was uh, May fourth, nineteen eighty-four. That was the release of the first breakdancing movie. Break-In, which was an unexpected smash hit, and they fast-tracked the sequel into production, and they did it so fast that Break-In 2 came out December 19th, 1984. That same year. <laughs> Barely six months later, basically. Like, I think technically seven. Okay. Uh, so, I can't think of one that was definitely, definitively not a planned sequel that came out that fast. Yeah. I do know that, um, I think Son of Kong came out within one year. Okay, King Kong. Yeah. And I'll look that up real fast. Uh, but I don't know the release of Son of Kong. But yeah. Son of Kong uh, came out in 1933. It came out December 22nd, 1933. And King Kong came out March 2nd, 1933. So not right. quite as fast as Breakin, but also within a year. And that's correct, pretty yeah. damn impressive. I know uh, when it came to... Um, uh, like certain long-running series, they could just sort of churn them out real fast. Yeah. So, like, if you look at the witchcraft movies, like, they're doing one of those every, like, eight or nine months. So those are probably pretty quick as well. Also fair point, yeah. Um, and, but, a lot of, and a lot of the, uh, uh, sort of the B pictures that were in a series, you know, the, mm. the early 1930s Nancy Drew movies, yeah. or the Blondie movies, those were cranked out really, really quickly as well. Although, again, how... How much, the, is that is, how much of that is, like, an unplanned sequel, and how much right. of that is, like, a TV production line? I mean, it's basically a TV production line. Back in the 30s and 40s, they would sell these movies as packages mm. to theaters, and you would promise them this many films probably in a whole set so um although they probably weren't all filmed at the same time they were probably filmed back to back pretty quick yeah so it's hard it's hard to say the the industry was just very different then Mm. um but anyway yeah so they remade terror train uh do you have any questions about that remake of terror train Uh, i did review it when it came i I remember um is the character of xander in the first terror train no no okay in that case um this is the first instance i know of Mm. uh the character of xander is non-binary yes the character of Xander is explicitly non-binary. The characters refer to them as they. Yep. They don't use the word non-binary, but it's everyone uses character. the right pronouns. They use the right pronouns. Yep. It's just completely uh, accepted. It's completely incidental. It yeah. has nothing to do with their character. It's just part of their identity. Mm-hmm. And they're in a position of power, which is really cool. Yeah, they play the security bar uh, guard aboard the train that is being attacked by a slasher. So basically, they get, they're the they're the tough person on the train. Yeah, and yeah. and. Uh, they get a, a running gag as well. Mm. Uh, they get to say repeatedly, oh, I have a black belt in karate. Yeah. Uh, the, the first time they say that line, like they uh-huh. kind of like slink in beside like main characters there is like, yeah, how are you doing? Well, nothing my black belt in karate won't handle. It's like, 
thank you exposition. I'm looking forward uh, to the scene where we get to use that black belt in karate. Uh, Sadly, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. There's no fight scene. But... I wish the movie was funny enough that I thought that was an intentional joke. Because yeah. I'm not 100% sure it is. Mm. It might be. But, but I don't other think it's quite funny. other characters also mention it. Yeah, this might be the first instance of yeah. uh, uh, one of the main characters being incidentally non-binary that I've seen in a film. It's not even brought up. There's no one yeah. has to have it explained to them. Mm. No one. It's whatever. And and I don't know if this is one of the first, but it is refreshing. Yeah, that's for certain. And I, I'm always like hesitant to call something the first because it's probably uh, yeah. I'm sure there's precedent, but it, yeah. this is but this one is, of the earliest times I, I've encountered. I think it's it. a very good sign. Yeah, I've I've seen you know? non-binary characters who are coded non-binary. Oh, sure. that's been happening since the start of. Film. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, before before before, before the, that was even had a, yeah, a term the, the that people term accepted. Even yeah, came yeah, out, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was sure. So I've seen the characters. Right, but it was like something we kind of had to glean in retrospect. No, yeah, no, no, no. This, this one is the is f- first very time, explicit. yeah, explicitly non-binary character. Yeah, um, character with dignity. Character handled as much as anyone is in this movie. It's not a particularly good movie, but it's also not. It's well, it's, it's, it's also not incompetent or anything like that. It's just a really low budget slasher, I'll, but I'll it, they're, that, they're yeah. as well written as any other. Character. I, I'm gonna say this about Terror Train too. Uh-huh. It. It is no classic by any stretch. That's it's fair. incredibly cheap. Yes. Not all the acting is great. Nope. I, I couldn't tell some of the characters apart because they're so similar. Uh-huh. Uh, but it does every bit of its slasher film due diligence yeah. in setting up characters, mm-hmm. in giving them each motivations, mm-hmm. in putting them in the right locations on this train so mm-hmm. there's no uh, mix-up as to where they might be because it's yeah. kind of a whodunit. Yeah. It's constructed competently. Yeah. And I've seen, like, bigger budget mainstream horror movies that don't even get that right. No, no, no. I actually think if this had a better budget, uh-huh. you know, this actually would be a pretty decent slasher. And as it stands, yeah. it's probably mostly just a competent one. But even compared to the uh, first Terror Train remake, mm-hmm. the original Terror Train, if anyone is uh, uh, lost, was a... 79, 80, around there. Yeah, it was around there. It was, uh, it was a post-Halloween slasher movie. It also starred Jamie Lee Curtis. Also starred a young David Copperfield. Not the Dickens character, the magic guy. <laughs> he, who plays him, he plays himself. He plays yeah. himself. He's, he's an entertainer. Basically, uh, a fraternity and a sorority have rented out a train uh, for the, for, I think it was in, uh, uh, it was Halloween in the original one. It was like a Halloween party. It was a costume party. Yeah. Uh, everyone's wearing costumes. Uh, but uh, a whole bunch of people on the train were part of a prank that went horribly, catastrophically, traumatically it's, wrong. It's not a hell, it's just a, a, a costume party for graduation. Okay, but for, it is, it's so train. costume party you'd be and forgiven a, for the gifts at an hour. The original 1980 Terror Train is also on Tubi, so you can mainline yeah. all three of these Which, if you want. And the original Terror Train is one of the better early slashers. It really yeah, is. It, it's I've, wonderfully well photographed. A lot the cast those, is quite uh, good. The kills yeah. are neat. Um, you know, it's a little contrived. It's basically, what if there was a slasher on a train? All right. But it it flies by. Like, it's quite good. Hmm. Flies by because it's a train. It's in it motion. I guess it, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of those, um, like, imme- in the few years after Halloween, uh, a lot of those movies were essentially just Halloween knockoffs. Mostly, yeah. Halloween was this just runaway success. And At the it was time, ma- it was, I think, it was the most profitable movie ever made. Uh, and that, it was that way for, like, a while. De- decades, I think. Yeah. Um, it was like, like the Blair Witch Clerks, Project, the Blair Witch Project, or Mad Max. One of those kind of uh, yeah. Uh, well, Mad Max would have been pretty quick, but yeah. 
Um, but yeah, uh, it, it takes a lot of the same beats. It takes a lot of the same camera angles. Mm. Uh, in Terror Train's uh, case, it took the same actor. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, because Halloween was so strong, yeah. the knockoffs are actually kind of notable unto themselves, even though they're very clearly knockoffs. And most notably, Friday the 13th. Oh, it's which, shameless uh, knockoff. They even admitted Sh- that. Sean Cunningham said out loud that he was knocking off well, Halloween. And this is why, even though there are many precedents for the slasher genre, and uh, a lot of people uh, cite Bob Clark's Black Christmas, mm, and, uh, uh, Mario Bava's Pe- Bay of Blood, uh, Peeping Tom, yeah. Uh, Peeping Tom, Psycho, obviously. Um, I would argue uh, the TV movie Home for the Holidays, starring Sally Field, uh, which, uh, is. Nobody knows about, but. Yeah, nobody it's... knows about, but I wonder if the people who made some of these movies saw it because. A lot of the things that Halloween later codified was also in Home for the Hollows, I think, mm. in 1972, 1973. Um, what Halloween did, though, in addition to just being great, which it is, was it laid out a formula that other people could easily copy. You for, can't for cheap, yeah, for cheap. You, you, it's, like you, you can't, you can't quite, copy Avatar, for instance. No. You need you know a billion you need money. dollars. Well, and even even something like Black Christmas, because its story was so specific. You really couldn't copy it very well either. Mm. Halloween, on the other hand, here's the format for introducing characters, introducing theme, uh, setting up uh, a number of kills that the characters are oblivious to before a final act conclusion, which characters finally are aware that they're being undead. It, it, it's easy to follow, and you can change enough of the benchmarks that even if you're following the formula to the letter, they cannot sue you. And it's pretty great. Because <laughs> John Carpenter will... Uh, if you recall that Guy uh, that Guy Pierce movie, Lockout. Lockout. So there was this movie uh, Guy Pierce made about ten years ago now mm. called Lockout, in which he plays like a disgraced former special forces guy who is enlisted in the future, in yeah. the future who is enlisted by the government to go into a place where the inmates have taken over a very large asylum mm. and rescue someone. Uh, I think it's the president's daughter or something who is like behind the scenes. Yeah, and and get her out. Uh, and John Carpenter was like, that's Escape from New York. It's like, like to the letter, it's Escape yeah, from New like, York. It's it, actionably close to it, Escape it, from New York. It's just on a space station. Otherwise, same fucking movie. Hmm. And he won that lawsuit. He did. <laughs> he, he successfully sued. So I, if lockout he, ripped off Escape yeah, from New York. It, yeah. So if you need, you need to change it enough, and Halloween set enough of a template that they were able to change it enough well, and get it working. I, I think the president's daughter thing and the character of That's the guy, like those were the specific details. Yeah, you need to change those. Like it if, can't be the yeah. president's daughter and it can't be an export like, special when, forces guy. Like you just you got to switch it up as men. When like Battle Beyond the Stars, yeah, knocks off Seven Samurai, Kurosawa mm-hmm. uh, not going to sue because it's a science fiction thing. It's a completely different genre. Uh-huh. They change all of the characters a lot instead of being a specific warriors. Kurosawa did sue Fistful of Dollars in one. Uh, he he sued Fistful of Dollars, yeah. and it's because that one's, that one's shot for shot. It's shot, and yeah, uh, yeah. Kurosawa was on record for saying, um, "Yes, I thought it was a very good movie because it's my movie." <laughs> yeah, and listen, it is a very good movie, and, but and, uh, but he, they did he, not he, give him credit. They should have. He sued, and they settled out of court. Like he didn't yeah. actually go go. They to settled court out of court because yeah. he would have won. I f- <laughs> and I they think ripped him off really bad. It's, it's not on record anywhere, but scuttlebutt, like the rumors that he got uh, like a, a huge cut of the proceeds. So I think, and he should have. I think uh, he became a very wealthy man because of that. <laughs> so you still got to be careful. There's a there's a lot of money in knockoffs. Everyone loves knockoffs, but you got to change enough. Yeah, you cannot. <laughs> you got to change a lot of stuff. 
Uh, so, but Terra Train, Terra Train changed the location. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it changed the backstory. It had an interesting gimmick with the masks, rather than a killer in one mask gliding through everywhere, killing everybody. The killer constantly changed masks. Mm. They would kill someone, take their Halloween costume, put it on, impersonate them, kill someone, mm. take their Halloween yeah. costume. It worked. Yeah, and. Uh... And the motivation was different. Uh, if, yeah. if the killer were uh, a single mask wearing Michael Myers type, yeah. who is described as being nothing but evil, yeah, then and, yeah. John Carpenter would have more reason. Uh, yeah, but no, this is this the, is a, a, the a long prank, line. Prank goes awry. Somebody yeah. might have died, or yeah. maybe not, and maybe they're back for revenge. There was a there it's, was a trend in eighties movies where pr- a lot of pranks went awry. Well, this was the time for college pranks. You remember something mm-hmm. like Animal House. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, th- that was just really in vogue on college campuses. Yeah. Or, or, or as we called it uh, when I was growing up, bullying. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, a lot, a lot of genre films opened with a prank going really, really bad. And I mean everything from Terror Train to also starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Prom Night, although those are little kids in that one. Yeah, that, uh, that's also a prank that goes awry. Also a prank that goes awry. Uh, even, to- even the Toxic Avenger opens with a prank gone awry. Uh, pranks <laughs> yeah, were everywhere. They're and we, remaking that now. Uh, they've, been, they've been threatening yeah. that for a while. They've been threatening that. Was, I don't know Schwarzenegger was going to be in it for a while, actually. Really? Oh, was, I didn't hear about it. It was going to be one of his big projects like after he returned to acting and it kind of just got... Toxic Avenger. Kind of just got... I'm, I'm glad it wasn't aside. him. It would have been weird, right? Um, it should be... Uh, what's his name? The Greasy Strangler guy. He should remake... <laughs> Good. Let's make it. Let's make it more unwatchable. Absolutely. <laughs> In any case, it's the, already disgusting. Anyway, t- the original Terror Train, very good slasher, like a legitimately totally yeah. upper echelon, one of the better slashers out there. And I was always kind of surprised. That it's kind of a specific setup, but I was always kind of surprised we never got a sequel. Like you'd think they'd want to capitalize on that. It was successful. Mm. It was well, the time where they yeah. would capitalize on anything. Keep in mind, uh, Halloween two didn't mm. come on come out until the year after Terror Train. Yeah. So uh, this idea of tacking on a number and just sort of churning out a couple more was s- still a bit novel. Granted, it, it was, but throughout the eighties, when they're constantly yeah. churning out slashers, it wasn't in order to make until a big like eighty three or eighty four that they started saying, "Oh wait, we can just keep right. on making." These and I'm things. saying by eighty three or eighty four, whoever owned Terror Train probably should have been like, "Let's make another Terror Train." Yeah. Like, let's be shameless about it. Why not? Everyone else is. So anyway, Terror Train 1 is great, and then they remade it earlier this year. It is a low-budget Canadian production. Late in 2022. Oh, God, you're right. Within a year ago. (laughs) Just just a few months ago. A couple months ago. Just in October, they released the remake of Terror Train. They didn't announce that they'd done a sequel, so that was a fun little surprise at the Mm -hmm. end of the year. Uh, And the remake of Terror Train is basically Terror Train. It's very, very similar. The beats are the same. The costumes are a little different. Uh, the opening prank is basically the same. The thing that they changed in order to make it like a little bit different was uh, the the person who done it was actually it, um, instead of like the character who did it in, in the original movie, it was their mom. So oh, it was okay. it was basically like, oh, you saw the original Terror Train. We'll do one thing to surprise you. And that was the thing you know, that they did. Totally fair. That's and, fine. And Terror fine. Train Two assumes you know this. They talk about it from basically the opening scenes. Yeah. Uh... Terror Train 2, uh, it, it's uh, the next year, mm-hmm. and it's New Year's Eve, yeah. and it's New Year's Eve party, and already the people who uh, ran the Terror Train, like, this, the murders on this train, of course, have spread all throughout the town. Mm-hmm. Everybody's now become, and this this is the important uh, element of Terror Train 2, yeah. all of the survivors are now internet celebrities. Yes, whether they want to be or not. Yeah. Most of them don't. 
Some of them are getting off and, on it. And there's a, a website in play. What's it called? Like Murder Mayhem or something. Something like, like that, Something yeah. really tasteless that uh, is, yeah, sort of talking up the celebrity of the survivors. Yeah. What, what if there was a subreddit mm. for, for serial killer yeah, slasher I, survivors? Th- that is a more poignant criticism uh-huh. of internet celebrity culture than the last dozen films I've seen about internet celebrity culture. Yeah, pretty much. And I will say this. I actually think it's a topic that they kind of covered a little bit in Scream 4. A little bit. talked about yeah. how younger people looked at the survivors of the earlier Scream Massacre as kind of celebrities and they kind of lost sight of mm-hmm. the reality of that and how horrible it was. But and I in, actually in think, the Scream movies, though, yeah. they had written books and were on Agreed. talk shows. Like, they were actually talking well, about it and actually making themselves into celebrities and in the case of uh, Courtney Cox's character uh, actually profiting off of it. Indeed, and I feel like that what's interesting is that when the screen movies came out, especially Scream 2, 3 mm. and 4, that was seen as kind of like a weird thing, like oh, what an interesting plot point mm. that someone who survived this horrible thing would be explicitly trying to capitalize on it. We can turn that into a whole movie. Here, we've reached a point in our culture where that's just understood. Yeah. That everyone would be, whether they wanted to or not, mm. be treated as celebrities. They would be internet celebrities. And there's a couple of the survivors, two young women in particular, are just milking it up. Mm. Uh, one of the survivors uh, is a dude who uh, decides to, in an effort to cleanse our history... Mm. Uh, well, this re- is what gets the plot going. Yeah, re-rent out the, the train that they had originally rented out where all the murders happened, invite people who were originally on it, and just sort of, like, confront our trauma. Uh, and the like main... kill, and they keep on using, like, like, really violent language. Kill the old year and yeah. usher in the new. Uh, the, the protagonist is played by Robin Alomar. She was the quote-unquote final girl. I even refer to her as that in this movie. Uh, and she didn't want to go because it's tasteless. Mm-hmm. And she's still deeply traumatized. She was in med school, and now she can't, like... The opening scene is her, like, in a class where she has to open up a cadaver, and she can't bring herself to do it. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. And then, like, her roommate says, like, hey, you know, your therapist is always telling you, you gotta confront your fears. What if you go on this train where you almost died and all your friends were murdered? Wouldn't that help you confront your fears? And I'm like, no. I've been in enough therapy to know that that's terrible that's advice. That's not the way that works. You don't... Well, you don't Flood someone's someone's experiences like that. You would try to incrementally yeah, help well, them deal with their their pain like that. You don't just like throw them in the deep end. That yeah. could be very kind of, that could be catastrophic. But I, I also saw I see this in like I, I was very fond of the film Bodies Bodies Bodies. Very good. Film. Uh, which uh, cl- the climax of that movie was mm. uh, these really shallow characters fall back on a lot of this sort of like pop psychological cliche to sort of define their characters as sort of a way of revealing that they're completely empty, hollow-headed characters. Yeah. Uh, They're just... Everybody in that movie is just, like, so shallow and hateful. And I feel like Terror Train 2 is trying to use a lot of misunderstood pop psychology uh-huh. as actual psychology. That's the thing that's really frustrating so that, about it. Like, like if there, you... there might... If, if it had, a, like, a, a bit of a smarter angle... The screenwriter would have played into that a little bit. That I, they're trying to go through therapy without really understanding how it works. They keep referring to her therapist. They never actually show her therapist, yeah. which would have been a great opportunity for some kind of horror movie cameo. There's yeah. that one scene at the beginning to justify the plot. Because the whole thing oh, is look, you're it's trying Michael Ironside. Someone, anyone, any, I don't think Jamie Lee Curtis would have done it, but 
get someone from an early slasher. It would have been well, fun. I said Michael Ironside just because he's Canadian. He's Canadian and he did a bunch of horror movies. He would have been a fun get. But there's a ton of people you could have gotten who would have been really, really fun. Uh, I'm just saying, the odds of getting some... There's only like two recognizable actors in the original Terror Train. Jamie Lee Curtis probably isn't going to do it. David Copperfield almost definitely isn't going to do it. <laughs> so you're, do, you're getting someone else. But they, maybe they tried and they couldn't. Anyway, another solution would have been to have her roommate, this very uh, overbearingly protective uh, new character. Um, what if she was like pre, like in med school and she was becoming a psychologist, mm-hmm. but then she kept giving her all the psychological advice and there would have been a fun like twist later on. It's like, yeah, I'm helping her out. I'm helping her deal with her trauma. You are Barely passing those classes, <laughs> which would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do like. Uh, there's several characters though, and I think this is actually not unclever because I think, with the exception of going on this train as therapy is thin to the point of being just bad writing, mm-hmm. a lot of the other justifications are perfectly fine. Uh, the one like train conductor who survived, and the magician who survives in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he survived the previous uh, film, and they even said this happened like eight times that it was a miracle. Um, they're back. And both of them are back because they need the money. Yeah. Yeah. The, the train conductor couldn't get any other gigs, and uh, this guy, it, it, at first I thought to myself, if he can't capitalize in show business off of this horrible thing that happened to him and get more magic gigs, he needs a new agent. Yeah. Because that that's it's it's monstrous, but like it's he should not be out of work. And then you realize he's out of work because he's lost his nerve. He can't like mm-hmm. do what he did anymore. And this is the gig and, and he, he says could so. get. Yeah. yeah, and he does that. And you know what? People for getting people in horror movies to do things that don't seem like they're the wise moves, in large part because the audience knows they're in a horror movie. Uh, can often be tricky because the audience is operating on a more logical level than the characters would be. Mm. But once you add class into it and it just say, hey, listen, I got to pay my fucking rent. Yeah. I don't want to do that. This would have even been a good uh, plot point for the protagonist. A better justification to get her on the train would have been, she's saying, like, I'm flunking all my classes. I could lose my scholarship. Mm. What if at the beginning she did lose her scholarship, but the people who, like, ran the train said, we'll give you some money if you go to this kind of, like, publicity type event and help us take the stink off of our business. And she would have had a hard time turning that down. That would have been perfectly rational. That would have made sense. Everyone would have been fine. In any case, they get on the train. People start dying because, of course, they do. Who did it? It's probably that person. Oh, wait, it's not that person. It looked like it was that person. No. Oh, no, it's actually that person. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the movie. Yeah, and two of the characters are particularly concerned with internet fame. Yeah. They, they want to sell the... They're constantly filming themselves. They're constantly trying to bank on, on this experience. Yeah. Uh, one of the characters, uh, like sort of the, the mean girl's best friend, a little bit more of a gentle character. Yeah. Also constantly filming herself and is also going to like film herself in flagrante. Yeah. Actually she, like potentially having sex with one of her like murder groupies. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like she, cause she survived. It's like, I'm, these guys are really into me now and I'm going to have sex with them. And she says that on camera, I'm going to have sex with this guy on camera. And yeah. so this sort of like overlap between internet fame and that the, and like only fans yeah. is now like 
addressed in this movie yeah. in this interesting sort of way. Well, so also, there, there's a, an interesting idea. These in are college film. students, and they're not always making smart decisions, yeah. which is part of college, part of being young. Yeah. Um, but so, I, I think that's also like a, a comment on internet fame, modern sure. economics, and sex, and how they're all just sort of overlapping now. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and honestly, some of the stigmas are disappearing as well. Mm. Although it's heavily stigmatized here, the idea of profiteering off of everyone's trauma is mm. uh, that alone, not necessarily the sex part, but like that is considered a bad thing. Which, mm. generally speaking, it would be, especially yeah. if it, especially if other people, if it's your trauma, and this is how you're choosing to deal with it, I can't really judge you. But if it's other people's trauma and you're trying to like make money off of, ha, she hasn't gotten through her trauma yet, mm. point the camera at her, now you're being the jerk. Yeah. Um, I will say this. I honestly, like as a, as a generally, just as a movie, it's obviously super cheap. Mm. Uh, they have, it's, like, they have like six sets yeah. and uh, they're all narrow. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be shocked if this is filmed over like a 10 days. Yeah, it's, it, and... and you can't film that interestingly. It's There's hard. only so many angles you can set up in a train. It, it took it took the so it's, it's just really dull to look at. There's uh, not a lot of interesting visuals. Well, and this is one of the miracles of the original Terror Train, and I want to make sure I get uh, the cinema because if you look at the original Terror Train, the cinematographer actually has like a a weird imprimatur. Like he 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 worked with Kubrick. They got John Alcott. Uh, who was like the DP on Barry Lyndon? Oh, geez, that's one of the best Shaw movies ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got like a ridiculously good cinematographer. He was the cinematographer on, uh, let's see, Vice Squad. Oh, Vi- <laughs> Vi- the Wings Hauser movie? Yeah. Oh, Vice Squad's a special yeah. film. He was a cinematographer on The Fucking Shining. It came out the same year as Terror Train. <laughs> All right? he The dude well, he shot Orange, good movies. No out, yeah. The dude shot good movies. The dude knew how to make even a, a, a slasher set in oh. narrow hallways, exclusively narrow hallways, look great. Oh, uh, he did that 1984 film, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord yeah. of the Apes. Not a great film, but that is an awesome-looking movie. It's an impressive yeah. production, that film. He also did Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend, which sucks. We reviewed that. <laughs> yeah, we did a we did a Patreon-exclusive podcast about that a few years ago when we were doing um, Not on Disney+, Plus, where we looked at all the films Disney owned that theoretically should be on Disney+, Plus, but mysteriously are not. And then we realized that the, the answer for why they're not on Disney+, Plus is either it's very bad... Or it's full of racism, <laughs> possibly both. Occasionally, yeah. we got, we got a few nuggets out of it, but mostly it was one of those two things. And baby is it's it's more boring than anything. It's boring, yeah. but it's weirdly violent as well. If you're not familiar, baby, Secret of the Lost Legend is about people who find a couple of like brontosauruses in the rainforest or in the middle and, of, or in the middle of Africa, used, the jungle used, somewhere. Uh, and they used uh, like at the time some pretty novel animatronics uh-huh. to make. To actually have like all giant dinosaurs yeah. on screen, yeah. But then like you see like some of them get shot on a camera, and it's just really deeply unpleasant. It's not good. Anyway, but anyway, John Alcott, incredible cinematographer, makes original Terror Train look great. You can see a few homages to the way John Alcott filmed that. Like one of the things John Alcott did in order to get lights coming from interesting places was he would make different parts of the production design emit light. So. The bar, there's just the bar on a train. Mm. The bar like glowed from within. Okay, it was a cool looking thing. It was atmospheric, so kind of you kind of got away with it, even though you would normally never see that. Here they have that same bar. Mm. Works. 
But yeah, I gotta tell you, the original, uh, the, the remake of Terror Train, I want to call it the original, it came out two months ago, but like, the, the Terror Train remake is really perfunctory, and it's, with the exception of like, the kind of twist they added to like, who did it, it's so like the original that there's no reason to watch it. The original is basically the same movie, but better told, better shot, better acted, better kills. The sequel? Not half bad. I, I was surprised at how much I... I, I'll just say it, how much I enjoyed watching it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's reasonably well thought yeah, out. I, I know it makes me wonder if this was the movie they wanted to make, uh, but they're like, can we just skip to Terror Train 2? And they're like, no, no one remembers Terror well, Train. we got to remake Terror Train in order I, to get there. What I think that what happened is, okay, we're going to make a Terror Train 2. Well, where do we go? Well, I guess we have to come up with something interesting now. Uh-huh. So they, they came up with something that has like a little bit of thought to it and actually... Uh, I, Built relatively smartly with the ramifications of what would have happened after the first film. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it doesn't uh, rest on its laurels in that it's only about drama. Uh, that's a, yeah. a, a frustratingly common theme. Uh-huh. Uh, and I say frustrating because it's reached the point where use of it has become kind of cheap. And uh, unfortunately, because it's fair game in a horror movie, it's fair, of course it's, it is. It's, but it's fair it's game, just... and if you're doing it tastefully, that's fine, but it has mm. been done... So frequently and often with such carelessness yeah. that it's become a cliche. It can be done very poorly, uh, yeah. like anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this isn't just about trauma. This is about the commodification of trauma. Yeah. Uh, and I think smarter. that's the more interesting idea in Terror Train too. Yeah. Um, there's another film that came out earlier this year called um, Not Okay. Oh, uh, with Zoe Deutsch, yeah. which is about this very same thing. It's about uh, mm-hmm. somebody, this young woman. Uh, Decides in order to sort of build up some internet clout, fake a trip to Paris. Yeah. So she buys like Parisian things and sets up pictures behind her while she's at home and says yeah. like, oh, "I'm in Paris." So her followers think she's in Paris. So she, yeah. yeah, and it just so happens there's a terrorist attack in Paris when she's supposed to be there. So now, and because of her posts, she's supposed to be like at the site of this attack. So now she has to fake having been there and fake going through that trauma. Yeah. So she, like, sneaks to the airport and sneaks, like, coming off of the plane. Oh, gosh, it was just in Paris. She's crying. I saw all this really horrible things. And ends up hooking up with all these other trauma survivors. Like, other survivors of actual violence. Yeah. And ends up using it as the sort of clout for internet fame. That film isn't so good about uh, interrogating the culture that demands that of young people. It's just sort of kind of a given. Yeah. I feel like this one... In staging the characters so much more broadly, yeah, and because, quite frankly, they're not as good actors as Zoe Deutsch for the most part. Uh, no. Like, there's a couple, they're, some are better than others. Some but are better than others. They're, they're, none um, of them are really great. Again, this isn't like a material we're dealing with here either. Yeah. But uh, uh, this one, I think, does go a long way to show like kind of the moral rot of the characters mm-hmm. and how not caring about death is a big part of their brand. Yeah, and. It, it actually has, like, a, a note of cynicism to it that strengthens it. Honestly, like, it, it, it feels like the sort of... The sort of ideas and the sort of execution you would see in, like, the pitch package for a Scream movie. Mm-hmm. But hopefully the Scream movie would be, you know, more polished, yeah. wittier, have a better cast. But if you can look inside a flawed movie and pick out the things that are actually, like, quite good and focus on them, mm-hmm. Terror Train 2 is not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. No, it's actually it's I, again the, the, the first uh, one not particularly good. Yeah, this the, one not particularly bad. The flaws, uh, the script isn't very witty. The dialogue's yeah. pretty boring and perfunctory. So yeah. the actors are just sort of doing their jobs rather yeah. than really kind of coming up with something quirky and weird. There's this asshole character at the beginning. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
I recognized him because he's on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Ah. Uh, he plays like an ensign. Uh, just I looked him up. And um, uh, I feel like th- he's sort of like introducing the fact that we're sort of in this asshole world. Like all, all of the characters <laughs> are assholes and he's sort of like the entry point. Yeah. Uh, but that character is so obnoxious. It's like, can you could you have written him a little bit better? Yeah. He's, he's not really necessary to this. Uh, to be that Leo, quite that caustic. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name, the actor's name is Daniel Gravel. Okay, he was also in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I like that movie. Yeah, he's, and you know, and it feels like it's weird. It feels like he's their get <laughs> because he's in the movie for a very short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, but he does but, uh, he does stand yeah. out a bit, yeah. But yeah, the biggest flaw is just its budget. It's it, just was, it was made for $3 million. Uh, it looks like it was made for $3 million. It looks like it was made for $3 million and it was sharing that budget with another film. Yeah. <laughs> which it probably was. That $3 yeah. million is probably both movies, I would, so, yeah, I would it, suspect. There's a, there's a slicker, more expensive version. Mm-hmm. I think this movie would have been served better by a bigger budget. Mm-hmm. Not all movies are. Some yeah. movies are actually better with smaller budgets. True, and uh, but the thing is you have to be able to maximize that budget. Yeah. And, Work within that framework to uh, get something classy. I, I feel like there's w- one of the issues that's occurred in the digital age more than anything uh, is it used to be that if you were making a very, very, very low budget movie and a very, very, very high budget movie, mm. the distance between you, the, those two end products was shorter. Yeah. Because you were using well, the same cameras, you were using the same film stock, it, the overall aesthetics were pretty similar, and yeah. now the difference between an ultra-low-budget movie and even just a modest uh-huh. studio product it can be gigantic. And well, even I, if you have would, a lot of talent, it can be hard to stand out. I, I think if you compare like an A Hollywood, uh, like look at something like E.T. or Gandhi, you know, things that are... Well, that's the budget. 80s. Yeah. That, that, I'm, I'm thinking uh, but like... But then compare it to uh, like mm. an, an 80s slasher movie, like uh, Friday the 13th Part 2. Yeah. Or, or 3, whichever one came out that year. Uh, well, you're, you're picking an ep- I'm talking about comp- comparable films. Oh, you're yeah. talking about an epic versus an intimate movie set in the yeah. woods. Well, I'm talking I'm, about like if you had like a drama set in an office building and a drama set in an office building. You could do the low-budget version of that and it could be comparable to the studio product. That, that's fair. That's what that's I'm saying. Um, and something really interesting has happened because we started to fetishize the low-budget yeah. over over the course of you know the last couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's sort of like... The kinds of things that A, productions were trying to avoid in like the 1970s and 80s are now things that filmmakers are trying to emulate. Yeah. Uh, so they're actually like damaging the film and yeah. scratching the lenses so they can get more light leaks and like actually set up solar flares. Or, Cough, Grindhouse. Uh, the film Grindhouse, yeah, like added fake film. Like they didn't actually scratch the film. I think no, it was they all added, a digital effect. Yeah, they added digital um, effect, yeah. So yeah. They, like, even, they even put in missing reels at like cute points in the movie. Yeah. Uh, which didn't happen that often. Mm. It was actually like a weird thing. Like you would be watching something in someone's private collection and they were missing a reel. Uh-huh. You generally speaking would not go to a movie theater and they would be missing an entire reel and they wouldn't tell you about it. That was not the norm. Oh, uh, it, 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 I'm sure it happened. I'm sure it happened, yeah. but it's the idea. I know in those... Grindhouse made it seem like that's happened. That every '70s movie was like that. I'm like, no, <laughs> that was weird. That was a weird because they did it in both movies. They did, if they did it in one, it might have been fine. If they did it in both, it makes it seem like they're trying to like copy a trend that wasn't a real trend. I know in those Grindhouse films, though, those prints would get oh, ma- mauled to half. Oh, so they were, they were missing frames all the time. They would sure. burn. People would get cut shots out. I, I did, get and, this, uh, I did when, see one movie once where they put the reels out of order once. 
uh-huh. back then. They switched two of them, and they had to like stop the movie, and they tell us. But that was actually at a universe, uh, UCLA archive screening. Okay, and they came in and said, "Hey, listen, we're sorry. There was an accident." We put the reels wrong. That's why that's, you, that's you're confused right now. That's one of the worst right things now. you can do as a projectionist. <laughs> yeah. such, a, such a grievous error. It's gigantic. Just grab the wrong reel. It's gigantic um, mistake. Yeah. And I've done that oh, as no. a projectionist. What movie? Inherent Vice. So nobody <laughs> noticed. Nobody noticed that I switched two of the reels. Well, you picked the right movie. And I ran was it a, beginning at the end. Or you know, it was like two of them in the middle, oh and nobody, God, nobody noticed. Uh, that's hilarious. Like somebody came up. It's like, did you run the? No, this is like. And it turns out, like the person who set the print up for me mixed them up. Oh, so it wasn't so all I, you. I didn't grab it, but I also yeah. didn't really notice you that I was running checked. the wrong one. You should have checked. Yeah, I did check, but they yeah. labeled it wrong. Oh, they labeled so, it wrong. So I was just okay. checking their There's labels. There's only so much you can yeah. do, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it was partly on me because I ran it, but yeah. yeah um, but yeah, sometimes those old grindhouses, uh, when they damage a reel, they'd get a new reel from the studio, but they only had like an old black and white master. So yeah. sometimes it would switch from black and white to color. Interesting. Or yeah. it would be like different takes, or you'd see like a same two takes of the same shot back to back. Yeah. How, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like that kind of thing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this the only 40 minute review of Terror Train 2 online right this now? This might be the only review of Terror Train 2 <laughs> online right now. Uh,. I think, again, this is not a particularly deep movie. No. Uh, but for a $3 million slasher knockoff that appeared on Tubi. Straight to is, Tubi. Straight to Tubi. This is a first-rate film. <laughs> this, is pretty, this is actually, this is not a bad film. This is it's not, not a bad, bad film. It's not no, a bad film. It's, it's, a, it's the kind of movie where if this had been made in, like, the 70s, it would have looked better. Yeah, because they would have right. been working on actual film stock and everything. And I think nowadays we'd say, like, you know that Terror Train 2 that came out? It kind of, like, nobody cared about it at the time, but you watch it now, it's got some smart ideas. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Like, just, we have it now. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm as surprised as you, because I thought the remake was really <laughs> perfunctory. The sequel's an improvement. Who right. knows? Good for them. Anyway, there's another horror movie that came out. This one actually did come out in 2023. Yes. Uh, and this one for, is... First big release of 2023. Which is usually the kiss of death, because mm. usually the first release of any given year is a movie that the studio was just kind of tossing out there. It usually is counter-programming to all of the big Oscar stuff that got mm. thrown out in December. So very frequently, like nine times out of ten lately, uh, the first movie, mainstream movie release of the year is a horror movie. Uh, and it's probably not great. Uh, recent examples would include films like uh, Woman in Black 2, Angel of Death, uh, The Devil Inside. Mm-hmm. Um, Escape lot, Room lot of, wasn't bad. A lot of Escape ex- Room exorcism bad. movies. Um, yeah. What was that one with uh, The Right? It was uh, about a decade ago at this point, the one with Anthony Hopkins. That was late January, but it wasn't, it wasn't the first weekend. Oh, it was, okay, but yeah. it was January. It was, it was January, January, yeah. Release. But yeah, so like, it's very, very calm. Oh, the, that's a terrible like requel of The Grudge with the way too good cast. Oh, I, like, I didn't John see Cho that and one, Betty Gilpin. But yeah, but oh, yeah. I love the the original Grudge movies. I haven't seen all of them because there's a whole bunch, but the ones that I saw are really, really scary. Uh, that that it's kind of a, re, a remake in that it's doing a lot of the same things, but it's the technically, same title as well. But yeah. technically, it's supposed to be taking place like concurrently with the American films like it's in a different place 
Okay. Because that's kind of the idea of the grudge. It's like a, a haunting is kind of an infection once you've it encountered spreads, it. It spreads it, to a person rather than a place. Once you've yeah. encountered it, it follows you along, and then anyone else who encounters it, it follows them along, and it becomes like it's kind of near apocalyptic thing by the end. Anyway, that that American version of the grudge is, is way too good a cast for how completely inert it is. It's very very frustrating. Uh, but here we have uh, a new film. It's uh, produced by James Wan, story by James Wan, written by Akila Cooper who also wrote the script for The Magnificent Malignant. Mm-hmm. And it's directed by Gerard Johnstone, who did a very well-regarded horror comedy called Housebound in 2014, which I am actually, even though I'm, I'm normally a big horror guy, I've actually never seen that one. I haven't seen Housebound either. I heard it was I, I very saw, good. Just now we got around yeah, to it. Akela Cooper also did a film which I liked and you didn't called Hellfest. Uh, which was a, a, another pretty typical slasher. I, I film, thought the, exe- I, I, the, I idea, like the the idea was fine. Yeah, it's it's a, a slasher film set at a, like a Halloween amusement park. And yeah, that's uh, it's fun. If you've ever been to Not Scary Farm or Halloween Horror mm-hmm. Nights, Universal Studios, it's basically what if there was a slasher going around actually killing people mm-hmm. and no one noticed because it was indistinguishable to most people from the actual you know just haunt stuff that yeah, was they, happening. They call them characters. Yeah. Um, Great idea. Uh-huh. Really good cast. It had uh, uh, Bex Taylor class in that. I'm a big fan of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a great idea. I just didn't think was, the execution was very scary. Who, who was that? The actor, like mm. the, the actress with the short hair, who's like really the, like the, the spunky best friend character. Uh, they they're uh, they're non-binary. And their name is oh, Bex Taylor me. class. Okay. It's okay. They, uh, they, we, um, we we correct ourselves uh, and we okay. move on and we apologize. Uh, I, and that's I like that. them. Uh, I think I'm, they're they're a very good actor. They're um, a very 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 good yeah. actor, and I always like seeing them in everything. Uh, uh, they uh, were on uh, Arrow yeah. for a while. They were in Voltron. Legendary Defender. Oh, I haven't seen any of those, but I, but I, I like them in Hellfest. They're in the Killing. Um, they're really, really great. Yeah, um, um, and and I like Hellfest. And uh, yeah, Hellfest is, is okay. I, like, I just didn't think it was great. Malignant is a modern classic. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, and, it is. And Megan delivers. Uh, I'll really say does. That. Um, it's one of those things that could overpromise. You see yeah. the, the the previews, like oh, the, you're gonna do it, and they did it, and I'm yeah. so glad they did. Uh, the premise of Megan, or Megan. It's pronounced Megan. You, Megan, you keep yeah. calling it Megan, it's Megan. M-E-G-A-N. Uh, so they, I, they replaced the E with a three, like in the movie Seven. Mm. Uh, but And there's a reason for that, because it actually it's an anagram for Model model 3 Generative a- Android. Android, yeah. Uh, which is basically, we really wanted it to spell Megan. Yeah. Uh, Megan, damn it, we got me doing it. <laughs> uh, so, the main character of Megan is a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. Uh Played by Allison Williams. Played by Allison Williams. I, and she is she works at a toy company, and is they essentially have like Funzo, uh, which is from The Simpsons, which yeah. is they're both knockoffs of the Furby, yeah. And they're uh, in, interactive computerized toys, and they're really expensive, and they're the hot new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company's under threat. A new toy is going to come into the market for cheaper. Yeah, same and, thing, but cheaper. Yeah, so, so they need uh, to Allison do something to compete. Yeah, her character is named Gemma. Uh, is trying to come up with essentially a. a an, an artificially intelligent android. Well, what it she's asked learn. to do is come up with a cheaper version of their toy. And but what she but says she's is, been working on this pet project yeah, on the side. She, she's basically just says, I, I know better and I'm going to pitch you the more expensive but more impressive toy that will put us on the map rather mm-hmm. than just keep us vaguely profitable. Yeah, uh, and the idea is it's going to be uh, basically a life-size doll hmm. that is also 
animatronic, can walk around on its own, and it can interact with and respond to your child's emotions. And and it's it like such an advanced algorithm. Like she's a computer programmer, yeah. and it's such an advanced algorithm. It can learn and learn how to communicate and learn how to converse and actually and also teach things to the mm. child. All of these things are like big features of this toy. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it? Uh, her sister mm-hmm. and her brother-in-law die in a car crash, mm-hmm. and her niece, who's about nine, played by Violet uh, McGraw, uh, has to move in with her, and she is. Completely ill-prepared to be a parent, mm-hmm. has no idea how to treat a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's a, very career-oriented. Yeah, so she keeps yeah. on saying, hey, you're going to be okay by yourself for a little bit while yeah. I work. She's yeah. nine years old. She just like, lost her mom. Hey, listen, no, I, she's not I, I got to go off and work for a couple hours. Here's an iPad. Oh, well, and she's like, her parents were kind of people who like cared about their kid. Yeah. And it was like, I don't want you to be on an iPad all day. So you can have, you can be on there for like half an hour a day or something. And Ashley Malone's like, yeah, however long you want. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she sees this golden opportunity to test out her robot. Mm-hmm. On, on, a, on a child on, who on desperately child, yeah. needs a friend and yeah, someone to connect so, with because Allison Williams, she cares, but she also cannot be bothered. She she cares, and the only way she knows how to care for a child is, I'll just get her a neat toy. That's something I'm mm-hmm. interested in. She's using her own hobby as, as an excuse to not do what she needs to do. Well, it's, That's it's, the theme of the movie. Well, the theme of the movie is the way that we use various things, whether it's toys or the internet or TV or whatever it is, to distract children instead of parenting them. Yeah. Yeah, Which so, is a real phenomenon, and it predates and, uh, the internet. <laughs> and the uh, the robot is so advanced, it starts to parent Katie, the young girl, mm-hmm. uh, without uh, Gemma having to do anything about it. Yeah. So uh, she's like, great, I, I invented an airsats parent in, in Megan. And of course, yeah. Megan is so advanced... Mm-hmm. Starts to get ideas of its own. Yeah, starts to get kind of mama bear about it. And like, oh, oh, is this someone threatening my child? Oh, well, then I will need to do anything to protect oh. that child. So there's a wink. There's these antagonistic elements. There's a mean neighbor with a mean dog. Yeah. Uh, hey, have you seen Deadly Friend? Uh, yeah. Have you seen Deadly Friend? Have you seen Man's Best Friend? The dog version. <laughs> Where Ali Sheedy. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. Stupid, but great. Uh, Ali Sheedy plays a reporter who is trying to investigate. Uh, some like lab malfeasance with animals and so she breaks in in the middle of the night she ends up rescuing this really big like Beethoven type dog I think it's a bull mastiff you remember what it is? I've, I've in, seen you never seen Mastiff? Yeah. Okay, so she rescues it's, it's, this. It's a large breed of dog. Though, yeah. it, it's a large breed of dog, and she brings it home, and the dog loves her to pieces, and it hates everyone else, and it's super smart, and, and it can also yeah. it can also turn invisible, and it can eat it can eat a whole cat, swallow cats whole. Yeah, yeah. like it's the ridiculous image. It hates <laughs> Ali Sheedy's boyfriend so much, it cuts his brake lines. <laughs> It's a dog. That's the movie we're in. That movie is a hoot. If you liked Megan and you want to see something on that line, that's the movie for you. That movie is is absolutely nuts. Um, the thing with Megan is the basic premise is a couple of things. It's killer doll. Yeah, well, it's also hand that rocks the cradle. Someone else is like kind of uh, taking the, over your kids and getting all stalkery. The, these well, are these also, are things we've seen yeah. before. And in fact, uh, this bears a really strong resemblance to the Child's Play remake from a couple of years ago. Yeah, especially uh, that one yeah. because that one is also about a computerized Chucky. Yeah, he's not uh, he's this, not like infected by like the ghost of a serial killer in that mm-hmm. one. It's actually an AI that's gone rampant. Yeah, and yeah. and it, and like. Very similar to Megan, it's like takes its protection programming a little too seriously. Yeah. It goes a little haywire and starts yeah. turning murderous. It's also a pretty good uh, movie. 
it, it, better than it gets credit for. Yeah, I think, I think, I actually I think like Megan's the better version of it, but mm. Child's Play remake's pretty good. The, the Child's Play remake is okay, and yeah. uh, and it actually the a big theme of the Child's Play remake is uh, it was built in a lab, um, like in in like a, like a sweatshop in another country, yeah. and the people who were building it were getting paid like nothing. Pen- yeah. They were getting paid a, a pittance. Could, couldn't and, be bothered. Yeah. Like, so yeah. Uh, so the one Chucky that's like a little bit glitchy and has like no mm. ethical programs was done deliberately by <laughs> someone uh, who was pissed. by someone. Yeah, someone who's pissed off at the company. If, so if you, th- there's a little bit of an economic undercurrent. To if that you've one. seen the evil Krusty doll episode of The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, where here's your problem: someone sent this thing to evil. Yeah. Literally, the plot of Child's Play remake. That's literally what they did. <laughs> yeah, they just yeah, sent it to evil. There's a switch of evil. <laughs> I love it to pieces. Uh, and, and and Mark Hamill plays the voice of Chuck. He's good. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, and Megan yeah. is really good. Megan is is a lot a slicker production. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Child's Play remake is actually about impoverished people. Yeah. It's you know people who, who can't really afford that kind of a toy. Whereas Megan takes place in sort of the high moneyed world. There's a class element mm-hmm. to it. Well, we t- there's a lot a lot of behind the scenes stuff at the at the toy factory. There's one guy who's like the the asshole like publicity guy mm. who's like when he finds out about Megan, like the vice president guy yeah, yeah. but, he, but he, he doesn't actually do anything with the toys he's just there to sell sell yeah. sell and when he finds out about megan and he sees it in action he's like we're gonna kick hasbro in the dick yeah this movie's from blumhouse the company that brought you gem and the holograms the movie so i think that's an end joke oh maybe it is yeah <laughs> something tells me someone thought that was funny behind the scenes um but yeah my point is this it it, it has all the ingredients you've seen in a lot of other horror movies but I think this is, I think a lot of this is Akilah Cooper, mm-hmm. and I think Jared Johnston nails it in execution because it's in the script. But as I've seen with Hellfest, you can have a really solid script and not a great execution. Yeah. Here, they're clearly all on the same page, and they understand when this story needs to be taken seriously because thematically, it's well thought out. Mm. It actually, it actually all tracks. It has a certain sense of coherent internal logic, both within the plot and within its own ideas and its own moral sort of guidebook. Mm. Uh, but it also understands when what we're looking at is a fundamentally ridiculous. Yeah, and there's so many well, there's really a... funny scenes in this, but they don't detract from our emotional connection to it. That's hard yeah. to pull off. Well, it, it the filmmakers were wise to focus on the human characters. It wasn't yeah. all about Megan and. Um, in fact, uh, when when the mayhem finally breaks out, there doesn't seem to be, like, a catalyst for it. A lot of Megan's weird, violent behavior doesn't seem to be learned from anywhere. Mm-hmm. There's not one of those scenes where Megan is, like, watching a kung fu movie well, that, and learns kung fu. That, that was in the, uh, uh, the Child's Play remake. He's watching a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Yeah. And that's yeah. where he got the idea to murder, mm-hmm. which is it's a lot on the nose, but it's fine. Yeah. But here, the idea is it's just, here's something that was created by someone with a shaky moral compass... And they were made without one. Yeah. And there's even a fun bit. Like, you, there's all these really great details where you just see how, like, Allison Williams, super brilliant, totally thoughtless. Yeah. Where she tries to, like, they're, they're working on Megan in a lab, and Megan has already, like, been interacting with the, the little girl. Her, the character's name is Katie. Um, and she turns on and starts asking questions about death. And they're like, oh, we do not want to have this conversation with the doll. Uh, and we're not ready to answer those questions anyway. Uh, so, uh, Megan, turn off. And she's like, only Katie can turn me off. You didn't set any parental controls on it? Uh, no. <laughs> like, was, yeah. That's such a stupid thing to do. But it's kind I, of thing yeah. you would, you, if someone who was expecting the doll to do all the work wouldn't think of that. They're not I, even I thinking about uh, their basic responsibilities. I remember a... Uh, I, I, I kind of hate to mention it because the author is such a, a, a dick, but um, uh, mm. Dilbert, 
Oh yeah, um, yeah. He's a dick. He, he's he a dick. wasn't always. Uh, he, he might always have well, been. Might have always been. <laughs> yeah, but, um, no, just he wasn't talking about. Uh, but yeah, Dilbert built a robot. Oh yeah, and uh, and was it called Dilbot? Something like that. I'm sure okay. they, they all had names like that. Uh, yeah. Bot Robert. Botbert. Uh, but uh, he, he's like standing in front of his uh, robot. It's upright and communicating yeah. with him. He's like, "Remember, robot." Because of the robot code, you can never harm a human. And the robot said, I didn't sign any code. Maybe yeah. I'll crush your head for fun. Yeah. And, and the last panel is just Dilbert saying, I forgot to program the code. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, dude, that's the thing. It's but that's, like the As- Asimov's code of robotics. Yeah. Isn't, it's not something robots inherently understand. <laughs> no, it is not. And it's also something, and, and it, it, it speaks to, and it's, it's in Megan, and it's in a lot of other things. We like to think that uh, artificial intelligences are going to be like, and we, by the way, we don't have any yet. We have mm-hmm. complex algorithms, but we do not have any art, spontaneous artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Because they know they, they use what the we, term, but it's not. We're, not we not need what we're to stop about, using yeah. that term because it's not it's not accurate. They're just copying shit that they've been programmed with, and they're doing it in a complex and sophisticated enough way that they can trick you into thinking that they have artificial intelligence, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, where was it? But like, yeah, we they know what we teach them. And they are programmed with not only what we teach them, but also with our subconscious biases. Mm. And you run into this constantly well, that, with a lot of technology. And that's why I like that movie Ex Machina. Yeah. Because that's specifically about biases, specifically about sexist biases. Yeah. Uh, that is a movie about two men who are trying to cr- create a woman. Mm-hmm. And the parameters by which those two guys define womanhood uh-huh. has everything to do with sexuality and deviousness and nothing else. Yeah. They see women as sexual and devious. And that, of course, yeah. that movie, that movie is about two men who know nothing about women trying, trying to, to create a woman, trying to yeah. create a woman basically. And yeah. And if once you acknowledge it on that level, that movie goes from good to great. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. It's, that cause movie it's, is, cause it's not about robotics. It's no. about misogyny. It really, really is. Um, uh, Ma- Megan doesn't ha- quite have that kind of thematic punch. No, it's not uh, that it's, insidious. It's, it's, it's all, pretty it's straightforward. All pretty, well, because it, it, I think the filmmakers wanted to make it light, and you described it as a horror comedy. I, I just I, say, I say it's, it's like Gremlins. It's like that kind of like sort of mayhem with a bit of heart. I suppose yeah. so. Uh, there's mayhem, but I don't see this as like sort of slapstick. There's actually like actual gore moments. There's real sure. kills that are supposed to be scary. It yeah. takes the death seriously. It there's does, a, there's but it's something we're supposed to be amused. There's a there's a scene in the movie where a, a child is harmed, and yeah. uh, it's it's a horrible bully child. So you're kind of yeah. okay with it yeah. in the audience, but um, uh, yeah, Ma- Megan actually like hurts people in in a mm-hmm. pretty violent and, way. And indeed, and though it ha- it happens uh, pretty much entirely off camera, except for like one mm-hmm. scene where they're they're sort of pulled off camera. Uh, they, they, Megan, there there is a, 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 a an animal. That is killed by Megan yeah, in the yeah. film. So that's a, that's a content warning right there. Some people just that's a nope. That just mm. they, they nope out of yeah. the movie. And that's, and that's if fine. If you want to see children harmed, and you want to see animals harmed, then don't see Megan. Yeah, it's but, it, but it's. I will say this. I don't think it's exploitative about it, and I think it's very specifically that um, moment is chosen. I think mm. because they what Megan wants you to do is take the moral high ground. When we see Allison Williams completely flunk out of parenting like right off the bat yeah. caring more about coasters than a kid who just lost their parents uh we're supposed to in the audience sit there judging her mm-hmm. and going mm-hmm. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Either, she's terrible. Either you're going to get comeuppance or you're going to change by the end of the Yeah, year, but like we're know? supposed to know better than her. And then that trains us, I think, so that when Megan looks at other people with that same level of judgment we imparted upon Allison Williams, we see the world through her eyes. We see people as sort of cartoonishly bad. Yeah. And as a result, there's enough of like this sort of distance that we uh, don't mind when she kills the the asshole neighbor, or when she mm-hmm. kills this this bully or whatever. Yeah. But I think that the very first like evil in air quotes thing that she does, not no air quotes, it's evil, but like you know the very first evil thing that she does uh, is to a, a, a creature and not a person lets the audience know immediately we're not supposed to be sympathizing with the doll. No, because if she no, started no. off killing, like, if, like, an adult had tried to hurt the kid and Megan killed her, she'd be a hero. Mm. And, no, we're very, very clear from the jump that although we can be amused by how ridiculous this movie is, Megan is not a good person. Megan is not misunderstood. Meg- Megan is bad. No, Meg- Megan is an evil thing. Yeah. Um, there's some ridiculous moments in the movie that right. uh, have make no logical sense whatsoever. Hmm. Why, why is Megan dancing there? I don't care. That, because that... Megan's dancing is very amusing. It is. That was the scene everyone glommed onto in the trailer. It's completely perfunctory. It, it, it has not, nothing to do with anything. The, the dancing, it's like there's, that, there's a one scene earlier where they do like a little bit of dancing, but it's like, not important to the yeah, character of the scene. It's, it's so it's, fucking random. Yeah. It, it's so. It feels like the sort of thing they would have cut from the actual movie if it hadn't turned into a meme. It's yeah. like that unimportant to what's Al- going on. Although um, uh, Blumhouse, and I, I, I'm pretty sure this was just a publicity stunt, they dressed a lot of yeah. uh, dancers as Megan. And then they did and the had dance them at the go premiere. To, not at the premiere, they went to the top of the uh, the um, Chrysler building. What? <laughs> I hadn't heard of this, that's ridiculous. Or maybe it was the Empire State Building, but it was Re- a tall building in New cares? York. That's ridiculous. And, uh, and and they had like them all dance that the Megan dance in unison. That's absurd. Yeah, That's, which because it was already being memed, so they may as well just roll. No, with no, that. run it. No, run yeah. with it. It's fine. Like I, I'm not. I'm not mad at you for publicizing your movie, uh, but um, that's really stupid. I remember uh, there was a publicity. Uh, it, it was another like January possession hmm. uh, found footage demon baby movie. Like I'm, preg- oh. I'm pregnant with a demon baby. The movie I forgot what, what the hell it was. was that called? It was like the de- wasn't the devil within? It was, was the it, evil within. It was or? like my. And it wasn't Hell Baby. That was the spoof no, version. But, um, that's also a good movie, though. But, uh, hold on. Uh, but Devil Baby Movie January. <laughs> January Devil Baby Movie. Yeah. You just pulled up 30 movies. Uh, um, Devil's Do. Devil's Do. That was it. Yeah, there you go. 2014. Uh, I remember they did uh, a publicity stunt for Devil's Do. Where, uh, <laughs> Devil's Do came out after Hell Baby. What? <laughs> Hell Baby beat it. <laughs> I know. Hell Baby was the spoof of that version. It premiered in, at the Sundance Film Festival in twenty in January twentieth, twenty thirteen, and Devil's Due came out in like January of twenty fourteen. That's wow. hilarious. <laughs> See Hell Baby, by the way. Hell, Hell Baby, Baby's funny. Hell Baby is a hoot. Hell Baby's very funny. You'll yeah. really want a po' boy. Afterwards, we got my my wife and I got po' boys. We watched yeah. Hell Baby. It's like let's let's get Uncle Darrow's and get they, some po' boys. They also invented for that one the pizza salad, which is not bad. The idea is this: you, 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 you order a pizza. I was talking about Devil's. Do- I was on. already on my my tangent. You're going I'll, on my I'll, tangent. I'll make, I'll make it quick. All right. The 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 pizza salad. Basically, you, you order a pizza. You don't eat all the pizza. You refrigerate the pizza, right? Yeah. Instead of just reheating the pizza, you chop up the cold pizza, and you use it as croutons. That's it. 
That sounds like that's not a bad idea, actually. Do that that's, at soup plantation. Um, that, it's just not a bad idea. It's just it's fine. It's it's obviously a yeah, little they, low rent, but like whatever. That's not bad. Did, I thought that was clever. I've tried it. It's not bad. As a publicity stunt for devils do, they played pranks on people. Okay. They planted a hidden camera, uh-huh. and then they there's no devil baby in devils do. It's a pregnancy thriller. Yeah. It's well, a, it's like theoretically, it's like is. Rosemary's Baby. Like like it's there's, in there somewhere. The, like we don't see the infant. It's just oh, okay. about the woman and her pregnancy. Okay. Uh, but for the publicity stunt, they made they built a robot devil baby, and they left it in a little pram on the street, uh-huh. and it was robotic. It's like a rem- remotely controls, uh-huh. and they hit a camera. And when people came by just to like sort of see this abandoned pram, uh-huh. they'd like lean in and look, and of course this monster robot baby would lurch <laughs> up and kind of grab and they yeah. film people freaking out, and. It, Fun. Do you remember? But it's really upsetting because that doesn't happen in the movie. There's no devil baby that lurches up out of a pram and grabs somebody. Oh, that's such a that's a, you can't do that. You can't advertise something you're not going to give. Yeah. The uh, um, do you remember? Oh, this is a long time ago. I don't remember if this was this might have just been a prank, but it might have been an advertising one of the Child's Play movies. Uh, there was like a a, a bus stop, uh, and it had like a Chucky doll in it. And then people were like, oh, look at that Chucky doll on, like, the bus stop advertising window. And then it was, like, breakaway glass, and, like, someone in the Chucky doll suit, like, burst out of it. Oh, yeah. yeah, (laughs) And, like, chased them down a little bit. It was a hilarious video. Um, Hope those people were okay. (laughs) I might have, like, collapsed in, like, absolute panic. I used to have have recurring nightmares about Chucky when I was a little kid. Really scared the shit out of me, Chucky. Uh, Um, I should point out that uh, Megan yeah. is played by two actresses. Yeah, um, one for the body, one, one for, for the, the body, voice. and and I think they they did like a mask uh, combined with special effects for the face. Yeah. So it, it's, it's never like a human. It's but it's not human looking. No, no. they do try to make it look. That's really like artificial. it's convincing. Mm. It, it, they manage to. Make, they're trying to capture the uncanny valley mm. on purpose, yeah. which is what dolls have been freaking people out for doing since we've had dolls basically. Mm. Uh, but uh, I think they did a really good job mm. of uh, even like the vocal performance is actually really yeah, neat and, and because a, a different actress does the the voice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Jenna something. Uh, but hold on, I'll look. This is gonna drive me nuts. I will, yeah, I will Jen, look it up. Uh, Jenna Davis plays the yeah. voice of Megan, and yeah. uh, an actress named Amy Donald does the the physical. Yeah, Amy Donald does a lot of really interesting physical work. There's a lot of great bits where they suddenly remind you that she's not human. Yeah. Like, there's a bit where she runs, but instead of, like, running like a person, she runs on all fours, because why not? Yeah, like, til- <laughs> like tilts her head back in this yeah. re- really unnatural way. Yeah, yeah. very, very cool uh, uh, bit in the film. Yeah, but I, um, I, I like that this movie did keep an eye on the fact that Megan is a robot. Yeah. They never tried to make Megan into something that you would sympathize with or something that you understand. Yeah, or, it, or, it's this, or just too human. Yeah. Like, it's something that is definitely, like, other. And, like, mm-hmm. and even, I think the vocal performance sells that out because there's a really good, subtle... I mean, they add, they add some, like, occasionally some, like, electric twang to mm-hmm. it. But mostly, it's a kind of performance where Megan is saying things and allegedly it's kind of like a almost monotone. They just added, like, a little bit of personality to it so it sounds mm-hmm. like she's talking to you. But we're ahead of the most of the people in the movie. So we know when she's being sarcastic or uh-huh. manipulative or passive aggressive. Mm. But it's presented so subtly that the audience picks up on it and you can forgive the characters for missing it. Yeah. And that's hard to do. That's a good balance. That's very, very hard to do. It's very, very mm. hard when you're making a horror movie to like forgive the uh, the characters for not being on the same page as the audience. Yeah. And I think Megan is uh, rather carefully sculpted to do that. 
my, my main complaints is you can tell where they made cuts to turn it into a PG-13 rated film. Uh, there's, there's at least one murder, which is, seems to be a, almost a, off camera. A couple deaths that take place off camera, which you mm. can tell they shot on because like the clarity is all of a sudden gone. It's like, what's happening? Yeah, the, the, they, the, the, way we, the way we cut to Megan with like a stabbing implement is a little awkward. Uh, that was um, probably more vivid. You know, that kind of uh, thing. And there was also a, oh, and they're okay scene. Near oh, the yeah. End, where it's like, yeah. oh, That's, and, that was like, a test like, audience. Like, these characters kind of like get out of a car and wave yeah. it's like oh didn't they no. didn't they no you they would died. assume they died yeah. no no that feels like a test audience likes those characters so they yeah. decided to add a shot later yeah. where you cl- like, it's clear totally that those like two are fine. So, so there's a little yeah. bit of awkward editing that's, which they're that's trying just to any studio movie though. i know i know that's but they, they could have made it a lot like harder edged and i think it would have been stronger for it maybe but i still love it i, I still had a too. blast uh the the movie you, the preview promises is actually the movie it delivers which is really nice that's it's, it's so, so rare to, it's so rare it's really really rare and that's what we want from our trailers we want you to tell us what you're gonna do and, and then, then give, give us, us that, that thing <laughs> don't don't pretend it's something else don't pretend it's a new genre don't pretend it's cooler than it is just tell us what the damn thing is and then if we want to see it we'll go and that way if we go we'll be happy we went and then we'll tell other people that we liked it because if you overpromise and underdeliver, we're gonna come out of the theater mad we're gonna give you one of those low cinema scores that everyone no one actually cares about, but they like advertising. And then word of mouth is gonna suck. And it's gonna be hard to to I think this is one of the reasons why, honestly, uh Malignant did as well as it did was because it was on HBO Max so quickly. Because oh, yeah, cause... based on how they were like selling it, they weren't telling people it was funny. <laughs> and I, I didn't see any well, it's, advertising it's, beforehand telling people that Malignant is funny. Comedy it film, is though. It's... It is though. It's it's a really absurd, over the top uh-huh. exploitation movie. Yes, that embraces its exploitation elements. Yes, for often comedic and, effect. And people like us laugh at that kind of shit. But I think, but I think the filmmakers. But I think want James, us to. James Wan would probably not call *Malignant* a comedy. I think James Wan made that movie funny on purpose, and I think he's very happy when people laugh with it. I would be surprised yeah. if he wasn't. And I think. Based on the the advertisement that I saw for Malignant ahead of time, which made it seem much more in the vein of, like, The Conjuring, I suspect that if people had to go out of their house, pay for a ticket, see the movie, yeah, there'd be some people who were on the right wavelength with Malignant, but some people would be like, no, I wanted to see a serious horror movie, and what you gave me was weird and ridiculous, <laughs> and I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be laughing or not, and then they would say, that isn't what I paid to see, I'm mad at it, and they tell people not to go see it. Mm. But because it was on HBO Max right away... There it was could spread quickly. Yeah. A, it could spread quickly. Anyone who wanted to see that kind of movie could find out about it. Anytime someone said, this movie is awesome, you should check it out, people can do it very easily. Mm. Click. Don't need to go out, don't need to find out when it's playing. Boom. It was able to spread like wildfire. And while, you know, maybe it would have made a bit more money, I actually think that was ultimately the best thing that could happen because we skipped over the period, which happens for too many horror movies, where it is initially misunderstood... And underappreciated and doesn't make a lot of money and gets bad reviews. And then a couple of years later, we all come around and say, why were we all so mean to that movie? Mm-hmm. We could just skip that and just, we were at that point by the end of the opening weekend with Malignant. But what's cool about Megan, and I will give him credit for it, is they advertised the movie they made. And the movie they made was actually genuinely good and gave us everything you could pretty much want from that. Yeah. Well, I will say this, without going into any detail about it. Very organically setting up sequels. 
There's a couple of bits in the movie that are very... Yeah. It, they don't stick out like a sore thumb. It's not like a post credit sequence where, like, the Megan comes out of the ground and says, I'll be back! Like, no, no, no. It's in there. It's not hidden. It's going to be totally fair game because they've already announced that they're going to do another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes sense. Yeah, I, it's not going to be like Terror Train where you have to bend over backwards to get them back on the train. It's right. like, no, 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 we, I, we're going right there. One of my editors suggested they call it Me Again. Oh, that's M- not bad. M- M3 Again. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, because... I, the thing I think was ridiculous is you called it M3GAN. Hmm. It's the first movie. When you hit Megan 3, you're going to be really kicking yourself over over killing that. So I think... Uh, I don't think I'm the... Someone else suggested this for us. I don't remember who. Uh, you go right to M-E-G-4-N. Like, that's the second one. I mean, M3-G-4-N, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And then the, the third one well, the third would, be, was, would be about multiple Megans, and well, it's M-E-G-A-N-5 with an S. Oh, I was going to say it's uh, like Megan and Debris. There's like a, a rival oh, yeah. rival robot now. Oh, no, she's got to have like a skipper. Yeah, like, exactly. Like yeah. God. Well, God. Yeah. Anyway... Um, uh, but yeah, Megan's great. Please see Me- Megan. Megan is a lot of Megan's fun. Megan's a hoot. Uh, uh, yeah, I love the pieces. It, it's it's contrived, of course it is, because this yeah. is a, a premise that's been tackled a lot. I think it does it in novel ways. I think it's inter- interestingly filmed. Yeah. And golly, it's so much fun. It's really great. Yeah. It's just it's just a hoot. Like you'll, you'll just be clapping your little hands. Yeah. We spent more time reviewing Terror Train too. There's more to talk about in Terror Train too. Isn't that weird? <laughs> anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. It's the first week of the year. Fewer releases. Mm-hmm. There's a lot coming out next week, actually, so we're doing a lot of catch-up. But, uh, yeah, uh, let's do our review roundup. We review movies on a scale of C- to C+. A C- is below average. We don't recommend those movies. A C is average. Some good, some bad. More for one audience than another. And C+, is above average. We recommend those movies. Uh, Megan, I'm giving it a big old C+. Plus. I, I give it a C+, plus too. Super it's, entertaining and smart and well thought out. And uh, this is, like, the kind of exploitation fun you want out of your January movies. Yeah. You, you understand that these are exploitation movies. Sure. You understand that they're lower budget than some of the mm. bigger films. And by the way, exploitation and, uh, movies means you're exploiting the audience and their desire yes, to yes, see yes. sort of uh, right. uh, prurient or stupid crap. And, uh, and as, as prurient stupid crap goes, this is... One of the higher ones. Well, I, this is really quite good. I think it's too smart to be stupid crap. I think well, it's, 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 I think it's, it's actually not. It's, it's intelligent. Know. It knows how to hit the stupid crap buttons, yeah. but in a smart way because yeah, if, they're, if they're smart uh, filmmakers doing it on purpose. If you've seen uh, Child's Play, especially if you've seen Deadly Friend or the remake of Child's Play, I think that yeah. it bears really strong resemblances to those movies. It does. The the Anne Ramsey scene in Deadly Friend is pretty much reenacted, like almost yeah, shot for shot a, in this one. Slightly different uh, death, but basically the same scene. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's amazing. It, it, the actress they got to play, uh, uh-huh. the main neighbor, even looks a little bit like Anne Ramsey. Uh-huh. Like they gave her the same. Hair I wouldn't there. be surprised if it was on purpose. Yeah, I really would. Um, um, so yeah, so big old C pluses from us for Megan, yeah. and I'm curious overall where you're going to land on Terror Train too. I'm going to give it a C. Uh, yeah. This this is not a C plus kind of a movie. No, but I, I'm giving it a C because it actually like has a thought in its head yeah. and is a little bit of wit and thought in this zero budget kind of a movie, yeah. which they could have sleepwalked through and they didn't. They actually yeah. did some things in it. And I'm, I'm yeah. appreciate appreciative whenever there's an idea yeah. in a movie, even if it's really cheaply done and maybe yeah. not necessarily terribly witty. Uh, there, there's a phenomenon I've, I've uh, talked about before. It's called the uh, four star, three star movie. 
Uh-huh. It is a movie that, uh, because of its ambition, could never be more than three stars, but it is as good as it can get. Yeah. So it's a four-star, three-star movie. Yeah. Um, this is like a two-and-a-half star, one-star movie. <laughs> like, this is like this. The, yeah. every, all the pieces were there for this to be just awful, but because it was, they, had, they put some thought into it, they actually, like, had something they wanted to talk about. Yeah. And uh, they, they tried to give their characters, like, something interesting on their minds, and, uh, you know, there's some good representation in it as well. Um, yeah, they just, they, they overachieved, but because of the nature of the production, the best they could do is a, is a, is a two and a half star or our yeah. version of it is a, a sort of a mid or high C, Yeah, you know? So, uh, yeah, g- good for them. Just want to yeah. say good for them. You didn't have to, you didn't have to, but you did. And that's, <laughs> and I've said it before, a good script saves everything. Mm. You know, it's good script doesn't cost you more than a bad one. Or at least it shouldn't. So... You, you, you wrote a better Terror Train 2 than you probably this, normally would, yeah, would have seen. And, is, and that as, made all the difference. As, as good as a version of something like this we're probably going to get. Yeah. And kudos to you. Anyway, next time on Critically Reclaimed, we got, a, we got new movies. Yeah. Uh, um, we got, uh, there's a new House Party coming out. That's uh, right, there is. Yeah. There's a, there's a new Gerard Butler movie. It's called Plane. It's called Plane. Not even money, just Plane. Plane. Uh, there's uh, there's Shin Ultraman is having some screenings. I'm looking forward uh, to seeing I, I that. I hope I can see Shin Ultraman. I really yeah, want to see Shin from, Ultraman from the makers of uh, Shin Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and other things as well. We'll we'll review more movies and there's it'll a be a hoot. New uh, Hirokazu Koreeda movie opening yeah. wide, which I'm gonna gonna talk about. Nice, nice. I know you like them. Oh, I'm a big fan of Hirokazu Koreeda. I know you are. I know you are. So we're gonna give you that platform and let you talk about that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. If you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode or anything else, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Mm. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, it is, uh, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. If you want to listen to this podcast and all our future podcasts ad-free, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash network. One dollar a month gets to the ad-free shows, but we have other tiers with a lot of exclusive programming, including our weekly Star Trek podcast, All Our Yesterdays. We're reviewing every single episode in order there's a huge backlog you're going to get immediately upon signing up we did commentary tracks uh speaking of uh how shitty january can be we just released a commentary track for the notorious box office dud monster trucks starring macgyver as a guy whose truck is an actual monster or his monster is an actual truck <laughs> um and other things as well yeah. so thank you to all of our patrons without whom uh we could not be doing this and we're incredibly grateful to you Uh, And uh, we hope everyone has a happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year, everybody. Never forget, everyone should have a happy new year. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?